Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Tom Momsen, who's one of the owners of Armcrest Financial. Tom's a financial planner and we have a chat to him about how he helps to set goals for his clients in achieving what they're wanting to do financially, whether it be retirement, savings, income and asset protection and that sort of thing. Tom's got some great tips and how to rein in our spending and how to goal set for the sort of life that we want in retirement. Here's Tom. All right, Tom Momsen, welcome to Geared for Growth. Thank you, buddy. Excellent. I'm glad to have you on. Now, you've traveled a long way for this interview. Um, how far roughly do you think? Uh, about 15 steps, I believe. 15 steps. Yes. So it is, it is quite handy for you to be so close to our office here in Newcastle. Um, I must admit, um, I have got you on because it is, well, of course, bloody convenient, but you're also pretty good <laughs> at what you do. Can you run through who you are and, and what it is you, you do, Tom? Uh, Tom Momsen, background of being a Newcastle boy for the last 31 years, which is my whole life. Thoroughly love living here, working here, and uh, really love being in the financial planning industry, essentially just helping people uh, go through life and take the stress out of their money. Excellent. And we're going to get right into how you actually do that. To, um, to get a bit of an insight into, into the real Tom, what sort of posters were on your bedroom wall as a youngster? Oh, the old man wasn't too uh, willing to allow the uh, good old blue tack no on blue the wall, tack, but right. there might have been one of Warney. Warney. Yeah, big cricket fan as a little kid growing up. Uh, and then also uh, probably the other one would have been a, uh, a photo of a collection of all the Porsche 911s. Nice. Yeah. Got some good taste there. Yeah, one of Dad's mates had one and uh, I was just a, a sucker for it ever since. I haven't seen one in the garages yet, so no, obviously... No, um, there's none around, unfortunately. You're working on a financial plan of your own <laughs> on that one. So, Tom, you specifically requested that the questions today be hard-hitting, so <laughs> I'll start you with this one. You're, given your LinkedIn profile says, ensuring couples aged 30 to 50 don't have to stress about their money, why do you hate the elderly and single? <laughs> there, that's hard-hitting. Um, I don't. <laughs> but you've got to really target in on one market and uh, I find that big, big percentage of my clients fit right into that. So I'd say that's sort of my real niche, but I do deal with uh, singles and the elderly. Well, that's good. I'm glad we can continue this uh, this podcast, but we will get into exactly why you sort of focus on, on that age group. Just to sort of give us a, a bit of a, a background on financial planners, they've, they've had a bit of sort of dodgy press over the last sort of decade. There was the legislation about ensuring commissions were disclosed, the Commonwealth Bank scandals. A lot of people, I think, think a financial planner is just someone that will recommend a managed fund and take a clip along the way. Has that, is that a perception that, that you've heard of and, and how has the industry sort of changed in the last little while? Yeah, definitely. That That's exactly how it sort of came about. Uh, the commissions were always there to actually be able to fund an ongoing service, uh, was used and abused. So right. yeah, that didn't uh, eventuate that way. But now, thankfully on all insurance, uh, sorry, in investments and superannuation, that commissions both upfront and ongoing have been completely banned and ripped out. Right. So now 
any fee that uh, we receive, the client actually has to sign off on right. uh, on a two yearly basis. Yeah, okay, and I guess that's um, that's brought the industry a little bit uh, of a better reputation. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> and there's been a big change for uh, education requirements as well. So it's no longer that you can just do a, a two week course and go and hang a uh, sign on the door and become a planner. They're really going down the path of bringing it into a proper profession, which yeah, it's fantastic to see, and um, yeah, the the numbers are dropping as a result yeah. of that because people just can't meet the requirements, so they're leaving the industry. That's um, a better thing for the industry as a whole, of, of course. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to start with a, a bit of a, a popular conception that financial planners are for wealthy people or established people looking towards their retirement. At, at what point do, is it worthwhile engaging a, a financial planner and do you need to have a stink load of cash to even consider talking to someone like yourself? No, no, big misconception. Uh, yeah, majority of my clients are yeah couples, early 30s, um, they've got, most of the time, they've got reasonable jobs, household incomes of uh, 150 grand. So yeah, it's not yep. sort of blowing, but uh, sort of, yeah, a lot of clients are two teachers. Right. So, and they've got yeah, very little um, to invest and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, but it's setting people up for a 20, 30 year future. Yeah. So and no, I guess the, a lot. the results will sort of compound over time. So in a way yep. it makes sense to engage someone you know, earlier rather than later. And, and I suppose even if you haven't got an, uh, enough income to, to justify a, you know, a six digit um, managed fund portfolio or a couple of investment properties, there's, there's a lot of planning involved in, in terms of you know, what you want to achieve financially when you want to retire and that sort of thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah it definitely is. And also that it's just getting started. Right. That, that's the biggest thing of just get started. Don't leave it till yeah, 45 or 55. Get in there and get cracking early um, and don't just do what everyone else does. Because then, yeah, you stay at that same average level and yeah, if you want to get ahead, well, you've got to get started before the average person does. And, and the average person uh, is, is drawing a retirement income from the government, I would say, still. Um, and that, that living standard is not what people would probably hope once they get to that sort of golden golden end of the career no and misconception is that okay yeah we've uh, we're all good because we've got superannuation when you actually run the projections even when you've had super paid your whole life of the nine and a half percent it generally gets people about oh, 30 to 40 percent of to what they actually want so right. there's a lot of extra work at that point unless yeah you're willing to take a, a major hit in lifestyle so you focus on Gen X and, and Gen Y. Why is it that you prefer to, to work with these people and, and what do you do for these, these people in their sort of 20s and 30s and where's Gen Y in, late, late 30s? Uh, it goes into the, well, the Gen X goes into the, well into the 40s. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just dealing with people my own age. Right. Uh, that, that's the biggest thing of... Yeah, one of the the main points of a client relationship is that it's a really strong uh, relationship in there. So it has to be a two-way street. And yeah, I just seem to have a, a better connection with that demographic. So I'm personally in it. So I can understand what they're going through and yep. they can understand that, yeah, I'm going through those same problems, issues uh, along the way. Um, 
Let, let's and let's let's kick things off with what you actually do for people. So <laughs> so you you start with a values alignment meeting. Um, this is some nomenclature of, of financial planning that I don't quite understand. You, what, what do you do when you bring a new client, a Gen Xer or a Gen Yer on board? Yeah, first thing to do is uh, run a, a values alignment meeting. That's a meet and greet. Uh, the clients have to like me and I've got to get along with the, the client as well. Yeah. Uh, if we don't have a really good open trusting relationship, there's no point in starting the relationship. Right. Because if you, yeah, if all the cards aren't laid out on the table, yeah. well, yeah, my plan could be sending you in the wrong direction. Yeah, that's so, a slightly unusual uh, approach. A lot of people in business will work with whoever because you know business is about um, cash flow and, 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 and keeping the, the business profitable, but that relationship's pretty important to you. Yep, yep, it's key because otherwise I'm leading you down the garden path and that's going to end up in a bad outcome for all involved. So yep. I'd prefer to yeah, stop it or have it stopped by the client if they don't like me. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's perfectly fine. So in this values alignment meeting, you might have someone that says, look, Tom, I'm, I'm really into investing in, in sweatshops. And you might sort of say, look, I think I've got someone I can recommend you to. Is it, is it that? Is it, I know that's a bit silly, but is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. if they're uh, yeah, if my goals and or for my values, I should say, not goals, uh, yeah, don't really line up with uh, yeah, what the clients uh, are thinking. Um, yeah, it's not a not a good relationship to, yep. to have. And there's yeah, plenty of people out there, plenty of other planners that that person might suit perfectly well. And there's plenty of other clients who I believe will, uh, yeah, prefer to work with me. So, yep. yeah. So how financially educated in general are people when they come to see you? Uh, not overly well and that's a big part of my process so I actually run a, a four meeting process a lot of planners will do a two meeting maybe three meeting for their uh, new clients I'd like to add in an additional fourth meeting and that's really based on yeah, giving some really good education yeah education is the the key through it breaks down the barriers of fear Superannuation, the most misunderstood thing in Australia, yep. yet everyone's got it. Yep. So, yeah, it's never been done by the government, hasn't been done well by the super providers because there's too much self-interest in yeah. there. Well, they've made a lot of money for Correct. themselves. Yeah, yeah, they have. Um, so that is one of the big things is I like to share that education, really explain things in detail not necessarily dictating what the client has to do, yeah. showing them the different options, and then they choose the best one for them. And typically, why are they coming to you? Is because they suspect that maybe they don't they don't know anything, or they're sort of saying, "I know this is a problem, and I should do something." Tom, can I pay it? Pay you to make it go away? Uh, not necessarily going away. Uh, a lot of the clients just go, "Look, oh, yeah, I'm, we think we're in a decent position, but we're not really sure." We just want to make sure that we are, and if we're not, well, yeah, show us what we need to do to get us to where we want to be. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of the times it's not a, a massive wholesale change to, to everything. It's a, a tinkering a lot of the time. Sometimes it is a, a pure overhaul of everything yeah. out there. Uh, one of the biggest things is uh, locking in some security and protection uh, generally for the family. Yeah. So that if something happens to either of the income earners, 
yeah, the family's going to be able to survive financially. And that's something that I think all property investors should should be um, listening about, and we'll we'll certainly jump into that um, as well. Definitely. Just get, getting back to sort of the the, the planning, how, how often do people sort of have a, a clear financial goal when they come and see you? And if they don't, is is that part of the the steps that you you actually want to sit down with them and say, well, where do you actually want to be? And we work backwards from that. Yeah, I'd be saying about one in ten right. actually have that defined goal. Um, and that's something that, yeah, it, it can be a bit of a challenge at times to, to get people to think um, yeah, a bit further forward. Um, but it's not necessary to actually have a, a really clear vision of that 30-year future because it is pretty hard. I know personally, myself, I struggle to go, yeah, retirement, what does that look like? Oh. I don't know. That's three decades away. I hope to have my own hips. That's about as, as far as I've gone with it. Yeah, so it's just, to me, it's um, ensuring that in 12 months' time, I'm in a better position uh, than where I am currently. And I think that's, yeah, how a lot of clients are, are feeling as well, is just knowing that they are progressing forward, they are taking steps to improve. Yep. Um, and, yeah, the path will become clear or the, the picture will become a lot clearer um, in the years to come. But just to know that they are actually forging forward, yeah, yeah just it gives a peace of mind that they're moving in the right direction yeah. um, and some confidence to keep going. And what is a typical goal that people will set? Will that be sort of like when they retire, I want an income of 80 grand a year or what, what does that generally sort of look like? Yeah, so, something like that. Um, one of the big ones I find is actually people going at the age of 45 or 50 to be able to only work three or four days a week, yeah. not have to work five days a week. Yeah. Uh, and you go, I, I think that's a fantastic goal. Yeah, so you right. go, okay, all right, we need to work on a plan to get you in the next 15, 20 years a way that can generate 20 to 40% of your current income so that you can pull back a day or two a week yeah. and not have to take a hit in the lifestyle yeah, right. uh, just to have a bit more of a work-life balance that's one of the major goals that's really started to kick in in the last probably three years hearing that more and more and yeah it, I can understand why people want that yeah it does sound like being lazy or cheating though I mean, my, parents, <laughs> my, my father especially brought me up that you know you've got to you've got to work your 70 hours a week and then at the end of it you sort of get to stop and then you're lucky if you're alive sort of three or four years later so that's that's not how it works anymore no nah, it's about enjoying the journey <laughs> right excellent so let's um given this is a, a property podcast we'll, we'll squeeze that in at, at, at some point <laughs> where, where does sort of property sit within your wealth creation strategy i know you're an investor yourself how, how does how do you sort of use property as part of people's goals and, and is that uh, normally a certain percentage or does it depend on the experience and the appetite of the person yeah it all depends on the appetite um property has to form part of the portfolio essentially that's Investing 101, diversification. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you need property. Yep. Uh, in there to, yeah, to have a diversified portfolio. And how do you work with your clients with, with property? I'm guessing you have sort of partnerships with people that can help give them the education or like how does yep. that sort of work? Yep. Yeah, got got some really good contacts, uh, including yourself, obviously. <laughs> uh, convenient plug for MCG <laughs> in there. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, a goal of so many people to 
to have it and I do not see there any reason as to why I should try and stop that or if that's a, a goal of the client. Yeah, there could be at times when they're uh, highly concentrated into, say, Newcastle residential property. Yep. And you go, look, yeah, you need to start looking at diversification, yep. whether that's property in other areas or whether it's into uh, shares, managed funds. Yeah, that is then up for discussion. But that's the, the main time when I sort of say I'd interject and go, yeah, maybe you need to look elsewhere. Put an because, egg in another basket. Yeah, because you're just really concentrated in one area. Yep. It's the same as going out and buying just BHP shares. Yep. And you go, if anything happens to BHP, well, then it's a hero or zero yep. play, and that's the, the same. So, yeah, one of your absolute base principles of investing, diversification. Yeah. It's terribly exciting not to be <laughs> diversified and just throw <laughs> your money at BHP, but there's a reason why uh, the Packers have, have got a fair bit of coin. Or Buffett. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So have you seen uh, property investors, you know, Get, do do a really good job and, and, and gain some really solid wealth from property? And on the other hand, have you seen people sort of getting it wrong as well? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's, there's both sides of the coin. Um, plenty of people have made an absolute bomb out of property, but yeah, I can name plenty of people who have lost an absolute fortune in it yeah. as well. To, to go in blindly and think that you can never lose in property mm. is a very, very dangerous attitude. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people don't realize that you can lose a lot of money in property yep. particularly because you are leveraged majority of the time yeah so. and 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 these people that are sort of getting it wrong with property investing is there anything that they have in common is there a type of property or an area that they're buying that exposes them um i think it's a lot of it comes down to the really slick sales jobs of uh mm. generally new property um yep places yeah so yeah it's uh yeah a, a tough one it's really a case by case yeah um but yeah it, it comes down to generally it's if you're trying to segment it down um yeah, it's not existing properties it's old prop uh brand new property developments yep. um typically more i'd be saying in the high-rise apartment space yeah yeah so uh, i guess you wouldn't say that new property is, is a bad investment but Definitely it's not. tied into the fact that who's marketing no. um are the developers their own sort of sales arm you know are you getting independent valuations to say what you should be paying yep. I'm, I'm guessing that's where it sort of falls down on especially with you know off the plan of apartments if you're not doing your due diligence you yep. can be paying a huge premium and you may make money over time but it might take you 30 years yeah. to get a profit yeah yeah that that's exactly right and also you've got to look at what else is happening in that community suburb city Yep. as well uh, what's actually going to drive it forward mm-hmm. um, yeah you look at Perth Perth housing prices are dropping and have dropped for the last few years Yeah. but then you look at Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane they've done the opposite so you've got to look at what else is happening in that area um, yeah you've just got to make sure that it's not solely reliant on one thing happening yep. i.e. mining boom something like that yep. and that entire area is all based on yeah, one driver. If yep. it's one driver, then it's high risk. Yeah. So and I mean, some people have timed those markets to perfection and made a fortune. I mean, you correct. can buy a, yep. a place for 300000 and sell it two years later for 1100 or 1.1, 1. 1, I should say. Um, but 
getting that timing right is there's a quite a bit of luck in that just for ex, even for experienced people isn't it like yeah. it's a dangerous sort of game yep yeah no that, that's exactly right everything can be a good pop buy mm. if you buy it low enough yeah so yeah it's just got to make sure that you're not on the other end of the stick and you're buying from that person yeah. who is uh, selling right at the peak yeah exactly and the people that are getting it right that are nailing it and are making a bomb as you say in property is there anything that they have in common from your perspective uh, good advice from right. multiple sources yeah okay yeah, so that's... They're, they're doing proper due diligence they're, they're getting information from, from a few different people and joining yep. the dots yep yeah, really lining up those ducks and knocking them off. So, yeah, yeah, yeah they've got their eyes and ears open to uh, taking in opinions from the right people. Yeah. Now, getting back to financial planning, I know you're a big advocate for minimising direct debits. They're, yes. Um, they're Satan's little tool of, of financial shackles, I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing. That's probably more my, my words than, than yours. Um, and spending regrets. So so can you talk to us about direct debits? And, and, and I mean, spending regrets sound obvious, but exactly what are you sort of talking about there? And, and how do people's spending habits get them into trouble? Yeah, uh, direct debits, they are so convenient, yet... Yeah, so destroying as well. Uh, have a look back through your credit card statements or your bank account statements and have a look at the amount of direct debits in there and have a look at the ones that are associated with things that you actually use mm. um, or things that you've bought three years ago that you're now going, oh, I don't even use that, but I've still got to pay for it for the next year or two. Yeah. Um, yeah, really going in with the attitude, if I don't have the cash, I can't afford it. Yeah. Um, but credit cards, that's that's free money though, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> certainly is. <laughs> yeah. Credit cards are awesome if you pay it off uh, every month. Yeah. Otherwise, they dig you a very quick hole. Yeah. 20% interest rate. Yeah, that, that hurts. That's solid. And yeah, compared to a home loan at 4%. Yeah. T- typically, do you see a lot of people with credit cards? And, and, and does, is your average person able to to maintain a credit card adequately or people are pretty much always getting into trouble with it um out of my client base everyone would have one um but yeah 95 percent would have it paid off in full monthly yeah sort of thing so yeah that's how i run mine as well everything hits the credit card but yeah it gets paid off monthly why not keep the money in your pocket earning the time value of money and yep. uh, some extra points as well yeah there so you go. Uh, yeah it's a a powerful tool to be used correctly and a very powerful tool in a bad way if it's used incorrectly yeah so yeah if you know you don't have uh, very much self-restraint well it's probably best off not having one mm. and the the bank's I guess aren't really making any money off the 95% of people but those 5% of people they're enough right they get it yeah. wrong enough yep. that the banks make the money out of them yeah just have a look at your uh, bottom of your credit card statement when you actually pay the minimum payment and have a look at how long it'll take you to pay it off right i had one recently that was going to be 67 years right <laughs> to pay it off wow <laughs> like I'm, that's more than twice as long as a home loan. That's, yeah, that's, that's, pay, that's pacing yourself. <laughs> so what about spending regrets and, and people's sort of spending habits? What what do you see? Do you, do you sort of dig into people's spending habits or do they sort of, you know, have a bit of a confessional with you and say, Tom, it's all getting out of control? 
Uh, from a client perspective, no, not so much. Um, probably see it a bit more when, yeah, sitting around personally with uh, different people talking about things. And it's a lot of the time it's emotional purchasing. Right. Yeah, in there something's happened and they, yeah, go out and yeah, whether it's a breakup or anything like that. Yep. Um, yeah, go out and buy a new car or put a twenty, thirty grand uh, overseas holiday with a, a personal loan, something like that. Or yep. it could be just go, no, I really want a, the newest and greatest TV yep. and go out and sign up on a 50 months interest free and then you're paying that back over the next five years. And yeah, generally one to two years into it, uh, people are going, oh, geez, I've still got to be paying all this. Yep. And yeah, you've committed your cash flow, which means that, yeah, you're paying for things that you bought 12 months ago that you're no longer getting enjoyment out of but your money's already gone so you can't enjoy today because you've spent it 12 months ago yeah and to me that's one of the biggest keys is having choice with your money on a whether you get paid weekly fortnightly monthly but having as much sort of free cash flow as possible so the less commitments that you have that gives you the more free cash flow to do what you want when you want with your money so that's one of my big uh, hates of the direct debits. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and let's say we've got a, a property investor that's trying to save for a deposit or, or even a first homeowner that's trying to save to, to buy their own property. Yep. Are there sort of tips and strategies that you recommend to sort of claw back some savings and to monitor that, that cash flow and make sure you're ending in a positive? Yeah, that, it just comes back to lifestyle choices. Um, and how much you're willing to forego. Yep. Um, yeah, you look back and ask your, your parents or grandparents what their lifestyle was like just before they bought their first house. Yeah, rubbish, I'm guessing, in comparison yeah. to today's standards. Majority of them will go, we never went out for dinner, we didn't go on holidays for two years, we yeah, didn't do anything. And you go, well, yeah, maybe there's a bit of... Um, Yes, property prices have moved hugely in that time and deposits, yeah, uh, probably 20 to 30 times what we they needed yep. um, that we need to accumulate. So, yeah, we've just got to face the facts and go, well, we're going to have to work harder to get that deposit. Yeah. So we're going to have to sacrifice more or it will take us longer. I'm not so. really... I'm a little bit older than yourself. I'm not really old enough to know what that sacrifice really actually looked like. It reminds me of an old blues song that sort of went, I grew up with nothing, I've still got most of it left. (laughs) Um, But where do you think we're sort of going wrong? I mean, social media is is, is showing us pictures of, you know, Harvey Specter in sharp suits of of people driving, you know, Ferraris and Lamborghinis of of YouTube stars, you know, chartering jets and all that sort of stuff. Um, Obviously, Tim Gurner and the likes of, of... punish people over their smashed avocado and that sort of stuff is there a huge expectation problem with people are people just generally living above their means i think there's a bit of that and it's uh, a lot of false reality has been created through social media um yeah when you actually start to see the financial side of uh things and yeah once you scratch the surface you can often find there's uh, not much behind it. Yep. So, yeah, what you see out there can often be a fair bit of BS yep. uh, too. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised if a few of those cars were rented. Yeah, and there was, <laughs> and those was sorts of a things. study that came out, I think it was nearly 20 years ago, that sort of said one in six people that drive a BMW aren't really in a position to sort of afford it. So 
I think possessions have come a bit of a turned into a bit of a status symbol for us as well. So, how, how do you sort of have your cake and eat it too? I mean, uh, obviously you don't want to be walking around in um, in blown out thongs and and a, and a ripped <laughs> pair of jeans, unless it's of course you know the the ones that are the fashion labels that pre rip them for you. <laughs> how how can we sort of have have our cake and eat it too there, Tom? Uh, finding a balance. Yep. Uh, it's the whole thing. You, you've got to have a balance. Um, and that's the same whether you're talking about your finances, your, your diet, your lifestyle, everything like that. You've, you've got to have a balance. Um, yeah, people who just like, Scrooge McDuck, everything you go, that lifestyle would be so boring. Yeah. But then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and yeah, you're going to be working forever. Yeah. And you will have to be working. There's a big difference between having to work and wanting and willing to work. And yeah, that's a very big uh, change in sort of psychology at that point in time of going, I'm only going to continue to work because I want to work, yep. not because I have to work. Uh, and that's something that yeah, a lot of people sort of come out with like, yeah, I want to be at a point where I, I'm only working because I want to work, not yep. because I have to work. Um, and again, I, I like that goal. So it's a it's a it's a pleasure delayment strategy, really, isn't it? Yeah. So you can sort of minimise the extravagance of your lifestyle and and sort of maximise it towards the end. You either have it now or you have it later. Personally, I'd probably I'd rather have it maybe later when I need to be sort of looked after and taken care of. I want someone <laughs> to be to be pushing my wheelchair and maybe mashing my caviar for me. You know, is that that sounds a bit silly, but is that is that what it's about? It's about sort of thinking, well, what does my future look like the way I'm spending now, and am I happy with that, or do I need to make some changes because it's going to bite me on the backside later on? Yeah, it's also just understanding. Uh, the ramifications of your choices now. If it's uh, uh, spending too much, you just go, that, that's perfectly fine. If that's your way you want to live, it's no right, no wrong. Yep. It is what it is. But understand the consequences. If you understand those consequences and you're still happy to do so, well, so be it. Keep doing it. Good luck to you. Uh, um, yeah, that, that's cool. Um, but, yeah, if you don't understand the consequences or... Yeah, you don't like what those consequences are. Well, a change has to happen. Right. Now, I'm getting a, a little bit of a sniff of the fun police. Um, <laughs> we had an interview with uh, Dimitri Taylor, who I was sort of getting a little bit nervous on the same sort of line. So you, you sort of say you like to help people retire early. I want yeah. to sort of know exactly how you achieve that. From At the moment, it sort of sounds like you're taking all my toys and my fun away from me. <laughs> so how do you actually uh, help people retire early? Definitely not. Uh, as I said, it's got to be a balance. Um, Otherwise, I'd be the world's biggest hypocrite. Right. So, yeah, no, definitely not that way. Um, it might be just reducing the amount of fun, not yep. eliminating fun, uh, and then making your money work for you. Yep. So, yeah, the power of compounding returns and having additional income sources generated off investments that you reinvest there and start the snowball. Snowballs uh, do nothing to start with. But then in 10, 20 years' time, they're an unstoppable force. Um, and Einstein, I think it was Einstein, um, yeah, he talked about the power of compounding returns as one of the, the brilliant 
most brilliant things in the world. Yes. Um, and yeah, you go, that is entirely correct. The eighth wonder of the world or something yes, like that. Yes, something along those yeah, lines, yes. Yep. So you're talking about investments and, and income streams. Um, can we get some of the Colonel's secret herbs and spices there? What, what are we talking about? Obviously, property we sort of discussed. Is, is, is that a big part of it? Or we're, we, yep. obviously, we want to be diversified. What, what, what are you recommending in terms of share portfolios, managed funds, index funds? What, what are we talking uh, yeah, property, for majority of people, yep. um, forms part of it. Uh, yeah, a lot of times it is a um, managed funds in there. Yep. Um, yeah, whether it's index active or evidence-based funds, yeah, whatever. Yep. Um, yeah, sort of up to the clients. I'll have strong opinions on, on mine that, um, yeah, if people come in and see me, I'll explain those to them. But, yep. um, yeah, it's sort of... Yeah, again, no right, no wrong. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just getting started into one of those or a few of those yep. yeah, will pay dividends greatly in the, the longer term, the 10, the 20 years. Yep. So yeah, I might be maybe the fun police now, but then uh, yeah, people don't turn around in 20 years' time and go, yeah, that was a bad idea to give me an extra two income streams. Mm. It's one of those things that... I mentioned the other day that someone, uh, well, no one has ever said, you know, in their older life, I wish I'd spent less time with my family. Exactly um, right. <laughs> and and I guess there's not a lot of people that say, look, I, I, I wish I didn't put as much into my financial planning in my 30s as, as I as I actually did. So yeah. what, When what they're are, 60. Yeah, exactly. So what are we talking about with these managed funds? What what do they look like? I'm sure there's all different types, but for people who haven't had exposure to, to share markets and that sort of thing, what are they made up of, of typically and how do they sort of differ? Yep. Um, managed fund, quite simply, it's a uh, pool of, it could be tens of thousands of investors, pool of money into a, a big buying group, essentially, and then a portfolio manager uh, will sit over the top of that, and that portfolio manager um, will then buy different assets, typically it will be shares, that's Australian shares, international shares, in there, um, they can be different sector specific or yep. anything, but essentially it's a big pool of investor money yep. that yeah the portfolio manager manages on behalf. And yeah, there's big differences in the, uh, the the styles of portfolio managers out there. And I guess the the makeup as well. So there'd be sort of risk adverse funds that maybe invest more in government bonds and, yeah, and maybe cash and that yep. sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. So across all asset classes. Yep. And typically, sort of over over ten years, what would the average sort of percentage return be at the moment? Uh, for which asset class? Well, I guess give me a give me a sort of a, you know the the higher riskier end. What what can people expect if they come to you and say, look, I've got a certain amount of money to throw in a managed fund. I'm, I'm risk adverse, or I'm twenty years old, and I don't I want to roll the dice. What what are we sort of talking? Uh, you're looking at a. Um it's never a hero or zero play. Yeah. Um, it's a highly diversified portfolio that'll track the different markets yep. uh, in there. So whether or not it's the the bond markets, which could be maybe five yep. percent um, per annum, that are yeah quite quite low in the volatility up to the share markets, which over the the longest time periods, uh, you're looking at over eighty to a hundred years, they've averaged somewhere around the the eight to nine percent. Right. sort of mark but yep. again that's 
over the long term and historical returns are just that they're historical yes and they've got nothing to do with what they they're going to do in the future so to yeah. really uh give a a strong indication of what it's going to do is uh, tying a rope around the neck and right. <laughs> sending people up the creek. Yeah, I can see but, you're uh, slightly unwilling to do that. Um, so if, if we're talking about these these sort of returns, obviously they're contingent on, on the global economy, the, the local yep. economy and that sort of thing. But um, I, I guess it just sort of comes down to the, the strategy of, indivi- of the individual on, on what you choose yep. and the fundamental of you know, spending less than you earn and investing the difference. So the returns yep. themselves, obviously they're important, but it's the longer term play of actually making that, that commitment to invest in those funds and reap the benefits over yep. time and the benefits of compounding. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's it. That's um, really the strategy of the plan and the ultimate investment vehicle is sort of the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and when we're talking um, about these these income streams that help people to sort of maybe move to three days a week work rather than five or retiring at 55 instead of 68, this is what we're talking about, right? Property portfolios, managed funds, that sort of thing, generating you, you income to replace your salary. Correct. And yep. And what's what's the sort of retirement age at, at the moment, and what what do you think it's sort of realistic for your sort of two teacher household to, to be able to set a plan in and, and to retire at? Is that too difficult? A uh, hypothetical? No. Um, again, it really comes down to how they handle uh, their financial situation. Um, at the moment, you can get access to your super at age sixty. Right. Uh, I think for the people under the age of 45, I think ours will jump up. Um, Definitely for the the under 35s, I can't say it being 60. I think it'll be 65, the access to super. uh, One of the big misconceptions is that you can't retire until that point. You can retire at any time. It's just whether or not you can fund it or not. Um, And it's when you can get access to your super that's currently age 60. If you've got assets elsewhere that can fund your lifestyle, well, you can retire today. Um, But yeah, for those uh, couples, say the the two teachers, yeah, they're smart with their coin. 60 is very very much well and truly achievable uh, in there. So... Yeah, if you start when you're 35, 40, yeah, it's, you can make some big, big differences just by doing some little things now that compound hard down the track. Yeah. And are there penalties for sort of early retirement? I understand that, you know, with tax laws, you can certainly avoid, you know, capital gains tax if you're in pension mode, depending on what sort of method you've, you've purchased property in. Are, are there things that people need to sort of understand and be wary of if they're looking at retiring early? Um. I, I don't think there's sort of any downsides, no. Right. Um, I mean, it sounds fabulous. It, it, it does, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's certainly not going to put you in a worse position. Right. Yeah, there's ways that if you own it through uh, super and yeah, you transfer it from accumulation into pension phase that, um, yeah, over the age of 60, you're paying zero tax on income or capital gains. Awesome. But you've got to have the asset in there. Yeah, of course. Too, so. Now, let's talk about... Um, income protection and asset protection. So typically, property investors will go through phases where they're highly leveraged, they would depend 
heavily on their salary, as I guess yep. most people do. Yep. What what should people be doing, and and how do we sort of protect ourselves from exposure to to that those high amounts of debt that property investors will normally accumulate as they're building their portfolio? Yeah, uh, to me, I I look at income protection the same as sort of building a house. You build a house with a foundation, you always reinforce the foundation. Yeah. Because if you don't have that foundation reinforced, one little thing happens and it all crumbles. Yeah. To me, income protection is that foundation so it's the same as putting rio into your slab yep. if that slab doesn't have the reinforcement yeah you're sitting on shaky ground yeah and that could go south and go south very quick so to me it's just absolutely vital to a wealth accumulation yep. plan um, because you, everything is reliant on that income yeah in there so so typically how, how does it work I mean what, what what sort of what sort of money would you get if you found yourself making a claim on these policies what does it sort of cost to hold a policy on the average income and and, and, and can you run us through some of those specifics yep um, essentially you can insure up to 75 percent of your income um, that's the maximum yep and typically you're looking at about maybe two to three percent of your income so yep. if you earn hundred grand a year, it cost you somewhere between two and three grand. Yep, per year. Per year. And in what circumstances would you be able to make a claim on your income protection? If you can't go to work due to any illness or accident. Right. So essentially, if it's like purchasing your own unlimited sick life. Yep. Oh, interesting. Way, interesting way to put it. Yeah. And is there anything? <laughs> it's the useful. Well, yeah, it works. <laughs> it works. Think about it. Yeah, if you can't can't go to work because you you're sick or injured. Yep. And you'd normally use your sick leave for. Yep your sick leave runs out well you start using your insurance, insurance yeah, right. policy and are there any other things that, that property investors should be sort of aware of in terms of, of protecting themselves such as life insurance or are there any other sort of things that they should should be investigating yeah definitely you look got to look at your your life insurance your total and permanent disability as well as some uh, trauma cover right as well so yeah it just uh, if anything happens there on a um, bit more of a permanent basis, well, yep. yeah, there's going to be, partic- oh, particularly if you're heavily geared, um, could be some quick, hard, sudden uh, ramifications that, yeah, do you really want to expose your family to those uh, ramifications at a time when something tragic has happened? Yeah. So and, I, and I certainly don't want to get too grim, but I'm sure that um, you've, you've had a few people that have need to sort of call on these, these, these policies. What, what's, yep. have, you, have you got any sort of examples um, of, of what's sort of happened to people, what the financial benefit of that insurance has been, and then obviously that sort of highlights what problems there could have been if that wasn't in place? Yeah, definitely. Um, had a claim on income protection only last year, esophageal cancer. Right. Um, guy was diagnosed uh, two days before Christmas. He had nine months off work, and it was quite simple. Like he just said to me, wasn't for you kicking my butt into taking this policy out, I'd have been stuffed. Right. I couldn't have paid the mortgage and I couldn't have put food on the table. Yeah. Um, so well. we'll be talking a repossessed house, yep. you know, scraping by on some sort of government pension to try and sort of feed themselves and pay rent. Yep. Their lifestyle would have tra- changed absolutely dramatically over and above the stress of, of having cancer itself. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, it's never a... Um, Never a fun time to be able to process a claim, but yeah, yeah the client definitely turns around and sincerely thanks you yeah. 
um, there and that's yeah nice to know that you've made a difference in someone's life yeah and I guess we all sort of tend to think that that happens to other people it's always someone that you know or some an acquaintance of someone that you know that these things happen to you mm. but that's kind of not how it all works is it I no. mean, it's, no. it's not something that happens to other people it's something that happens to people at random and those people can and will include your, your family if if chance yep. falls that way yeah that's exactly right like uh, personally I hope I waste every single cent of my insurance <laughs> yeah. it means I'm 65 and I'm fit and healthy exactly but that to me is a fantastic outcome yeah but if something does happen yeah I want to minimize the impact that it has on um, my life and my family's life yeah so that's um i mean obviously that's a that's a, that's a pretty bad example of what can happen but i guess yep. a fairly sort of typical thing of, of of how people can find themselves in those pretty shitty situations yeah. and that insurance can you know make a very hard situation a little bit easier because you don't want the stress of of having to relocate and worry about how you're going to pay the bills yeah it can be something as simple as a like you, you, one of the main ones are tradies um, either falling off a bike or going down in the snow and breaking a leg. Right. And they can't work for yeah. three months. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, no income. You can't get out on a normal work site with a broken leg. So no, exactly. It can just be sort of silly little accidents like that yeah. um, that can yeah, have big ramifications financially yeah, um, of course. in there. So it doesn't have to be the big, scary, grim reaper style stuff. Yeah. Um, it can be just that silly little accident that might have even happened when you're out on the beers. Yeah, <laughs> anything that stops you from, from getting to work, I guess. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the plan itself. I, I read a, a Sydney Morning Herald article that used a, a garden analogy. So we're going to get a bit left field and esoteric here. So um, it talked about using a planner to get the right plants in the right places and choosing the right plants to suit your environment, but you can't neglect the plants when they're planted. Can you decipher this and, and shed some insight on what, what they might be talking about here? Uh, sort of. It's not the easiest analogy to uh, what I'm explain. I wouldn't be using that one, but uh, <laughs> what I'm guessing is they're sort of they're saying that an ongoing relationship with a financial is in, financial planner is important. So yep. you might pick your managed funds. You might diversify with property as well. Yep. But then you've got to water the bloody things. Yes. Yeah, you got to pay attention to them. You got to make sure they're, they're still living yep. and thriving. So yeah, reviewing those. Yeah, on a, a yearly basis, I think, for, for all assets. Yeah. Um, property shares, managed funds, whatever it is. And that's yeah. what you recommend with, with your clients. Obviously, yep, you put a plan in, in place and, and it's, a, it's a yearly review normally. Yep. Yeah, well and truly. Um, yeah, if you're under the age of 45 in particular, have a look at the, the changes that have happened in your life in the last 15 years. Kids, mortgages, marriages, you know, they come rolling through thick and fast. Yep. Typically, every... Yeah, sort of two to three years, a major change yep. is going to happen between the ages of 30 to uh, 50. And so, yeah, you, it needs to be reviewed because you're getting curveballs thrown at you all the time. Of course. So. Yeah. And and so typically, I'm, I'm guessing if, if, if there's a, a child that comes into the mix, one partner maybe sort of takes time off work. Yep. Is, is it that sort of lifestyle things or, or do you often sort of change your, your, your profile or your managed funds? Like what, what sort of things typically? Yeah, it's just uh, reassessing the different risks that are uh, in there. Um, they just sort of change around and uh, what can we do to 
reduce the risks involved. Yep. So, yeah. And and how do how do people find a good financial planner? Obviously, we've talked about some of the dodginess in the industry of a whole. It's obviously sharpened itself up quite a bit. But what yep. sort of questions should people be asking? So, say someone's interviewing you, you, what sort of questions do you think? Actually, that's a really good one, and that that's going to give me a chance to answer how I do things differently. Um, someone who asks a lot of questions. Yep. Yep, gets to to know you. Yeah, wants to actually know exactly where you're headed. Yeah, um, and that everything that they're saying is actually going to help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Right. So, um, so questions sort of like you know, where do you where do you work? How long do you plan on staying there? What's your partner do? When are you thinking of retiring? You know, those sorts of questions. Yeah. Also, um, just some other really simple um yeah what are the 12 month goals yeah do you want to be paying down your home do you want to be going on holidays what do you want to be doing in life um so yeah it's a gut feel as well um that'll be a big thing so yeah if it feels good in the gut um if it's feeling like a really slick sales process of going yeah hang on I never knew I wanted to buy a property, but now I do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go maybe get a, a second opinion there. The whole thing, and I get a free holiday. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not going to cost you a cent. Yeah. Uh, Rental yeah. guarantee. Yeah. That those sort of things. Um, yeah. So start to actually question um, that, but yeah, there. I like to think that there's um, yeah, ninety nine point nine percent of the the people out there are actually got the client's best interest at heart yeah so, so i mean it's 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 organizing your own sort of values alignment meeting really isn't it you sort yep. of say this is you know this is who i am this is what i'm doing the financial advisor should be asking you questions about your goals and that sort of thing and, yep. and you can fairly quickly get an idea of the the ethics and the interests and the expertise of the person i'm guessing yep yeah very much so so it's um yeah you you've got to go in and sort of see it as a a bit of an interview and also ask yourself uh, is this someone who I feel as though that I could uh, be working with in 20, 30 years time? Yeah, yeah, awesome. And I mean that's so. something we think about with, uh, with, with marriages you would hope. Yeah. I mean, perhaps not with financial planners. No, but you, like if you go and trying to find a new doctor, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people would go, well, yeah, I'd like to say, see the same doctor for a, an extended period of time yeah. so that they get to know me. Um, history so you go well I think that's a, a good place to start yep. in there if you've got to have a, a good comfortable um, rapport with the person to be able to have that good ongoing trusting professional relationship awesome and speaking of getting in touch with you Tom how do people do that if they want to uh, probably email tom at armcrest.com.au or give the office a buzz on zero two four nine four three one two nine eight course you're eminently googleable as well yeah um, and got the good old facebook page too excellent and so. you share some pretty uh, interesting things there from from personal growth to to business to shits and giggles so i recommend a, a follow of, of tom Momson on facebook as well if um just to sort of wrap things up tom if you can impart one piece of advice thinking of sort of our general sort of property investor listener yep what would it be get started right 
That's yeah. succinct. That's one, yeah. of the, that's one of the shortest ones we've had, yep. but it works. Yeah, it does, because it's actually action. Awesome. So, theory's great, but practical trumps theory. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, Tom. I very much appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. <laughs>